talk about some sea bitches? I think it's sea people. Well, I see two people right now. Oh! <laughs> Just keep that going for an hour and a half. 15 minutes. That's the podcast. That's it. <laughs> Hello, that was everybody. actually the Sea People's signature war cry. Oh. <laughs> just hold it out for hours. Yeah, someone just dropped a your mom joke, and everyone's like, whoa. And then the city falls. Right. That's how they break down the walls. Oh. Just like the walls of Jericho, yeah. except it's yeah. just a your mom joke. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello, oh, yeah. everybody. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, And joining me, I have Mark Steinbrenner. What's good? And Evan Roosh. What's great? Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> it's been a couple episodes since I copied Mark on the intro, it's, so I had to bring it back. Just, yep. Sometimes you gotta gotta bring back the classics. Yeah, it's mm. so funny. How are you boys doing today? Well, quite well. Doing pretty dandy. Do you know that Evan's been to Tuscany? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I have heard that. Yeah, so <laughs> people are like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> So, literally 20 minutes before we were about to record today, the power in my house just all went out. Everything's dark. Can't see anything. Obviously, we record in the basement, so can't see anything. So, I light this Tuscany. Apparently, it's from Tuscany. I just bought it from Pick and Save. <laughs> light this candle. Pick and save. Yeah, light this candle. It's a fried light. And then right as we're about to record, everything comes on. So, you missed another podcast by candlelight unfortunately <laughs> with, with a mixture of smells that is questionable yeah at best yeah. we would have had pumpkin van- was that vanilla bean i yeah. just assume because yep. every candle somehow has vanilla in it and then like sea breeze was the other one i had <laughs> yeah but we avoided that avoided catastrophe i told evan that mm-hmm. we would have to do it by candlelight if we didn't get the power back on which we would have done because why not? Mm-hmm. We've done it before. We do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> These are the hoops we have to jump through to give you people a product. Right? Just stop being so stubborn. Make us famous. <laughs> Just give us five stars on iTunes. Come on. Do it, if you're, nice do, it if, yeah. <laughs> do it if you're bad. And then follow us on Twitter at gems underscore history. All right. Well, should we hop right into our trivia today? And then we can get to our, our topic that I know Evan is very excited to get to. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. Wait, before we do it, what's in that? It's the apple. It's a Miller Lite, Mark. Oh, Oh, you were probably the (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? He said it's Miller Lite. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's like, it's a beer. Are you familiar? (laughs) I'm just illiterate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, what you got? What is this magic elixir? It's like, oh, son, son, son. Uh, Before we get into our trivia, though, I do want to mention that we're kind of changing up the format on how we're going to do the show from now on, I think. So instead of doing it like host by host, like we have been doing, where the one host will pick a topic and then the other two will find out uh, the day of, we're kind of changing it and doing where one host will still pick it, but they'll tell uh, the other people that are going to be on that episode. And we'll all kind of do collaborative uh, notes on it and stuff. And the person that picks it will do kind of the lead and that's what evan's mm-hmm. going to be doing today but the other two will can do research as they have time to do it and then we'll all kind of input where we see fit and stuff like that so from that's how we're going to do it going forward and we'll see how that goes and if we like it we'll stick with it and if we don't we'll maybe go back to the other style but yeah if you like it please let us know if you don't like it don't let us know we don't want to hear negative <laughs> feedback because i think this is what we're gonna do from now on either way so. yeah and mean <laughs> comments will literally just crush my god complex <laughs> so please don't please don't do it my god complex. 
Yes, it's my world. You're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will start off with trivia today, if that's okay with yeah, you yeah, boys. Yeah, yeah. In medieval times, there are a good amount of paintings featuring knights fighting against life-size versions of what animal? A, snails, B, squirrels, C, spiders, or D, snakes? Ooh, tough. I think it, I want to say snails. Something about just, I, why, why do snails one? pop up? Squirrels. I don't know. Could be. Well, I mean, back in the day, they were competing for nuts for hibernation during the winter. <laughs> Humans and squirrels. So people forget about the great human-squirrel war. That, that was a big deal. Right. I think it's squirrels or snakes. I am going to go with my gut. I'm saying squirrels. I'm going to go snails. Okay. Evan, you are correct. Let's go. It is snails. Yeah, so historians don't really have a solid answer on why there's a bunch of paintings of knights fighting on horseback against giant snails. But on horseback, even. Yeah, some of them. They're, <laughs> some of them, they're like on a horse on a giant branch fighting a giant squirrel. It's like, what, what is this? I can just see like a snail coming at him with like a javelin, <laughs> <laughs> and like, but not charging, just very slow. Right? Yeah, the knight still loses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like some people say that it might have been like a social commentary on a certain group of people or Ooh. maybe it was like uh just like imagine you're taking notes in class and you just scribble in the margins of the notebook they they kind of think it was just something like that except they just did it a bunch so i don't know see like we talk about this all the time when a thousand years from now if the earth is still around they'll uh just find that supreme this, yeah, I, written on so many notebooks yeah but if you look up that and just like genitalia <laughs> <laughs> well that'll just be everywhere right but yeah, just go on Google, look up medieval paintings of snail fights, and you'll find a bunch of like knights fighting against giant snails. So. It's like before they did like animal fights, which are super unethical. Let's just get that through. They just did snail fights. Yeah. <laughs> there was one where it was a bunny with a shield and a javelin riding a snail with like a man's face. Yeah, I was like, what is this? But yeah, incredible. There's your fun fact for the day. <laughs> So I can go next. Um, this top, <clears throat> this question has a little bit to do with what we're going to be talking about today. Not a ton, but a little bit. Which of these potential facts about the ocean is actually false? A, 70% of Earth's oxygen is from the ocean. There are lakes and rivers at the bottom of the ocean. The Pacific Ocean has 15,749 islands. Or D, there are technically... <clears throat> oh, oh my God. <laughs> not wow. D, not D. Yeah. yeah. D, there are technically more historic artifacts under the ocean than in all museums. <clears throat> so A, 70% of Earth's oxygen from the ocean. B, there are lakes and rivers in the ocean, the bottom of the ocean. The Pacific Ocean has 15,749 islands. And then there are technically more historic artifacts under the ocean than in museums. I'm going to go with A. That the oxygen? Yeah. The thing is, it's, uh, I think it's misleading because I'm pretty sure it's the from the like plankton something that's in the ocean, not the obviously ocean itself. But there is like this uh, life creature or plant or something in the ocean that gives off most of the world's oxygen. But I'm not sure if that qualifies. I'm going to stick with A. All right, all right. I feel like that was a misleading answer. 
<laughs> closes the eyes like that's gonna thank you i'm thinking also he turns the car radio down when he has to find yeah, a place to park. I, do I do that i still do that yeah. oh yeah i always do that just really in case just, like, i can see better <laughs> <laughs> just in case like i just use like sonar <laughs> to... <laughs> all right give me ah, i don't feel good about this give me a also wow going down a blaze of glory so I guess we got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. The potential fact that was false was actually C. So Mark, you were right. Seventy percent of Earth's oxygen is from the ocean, specifically from ocean algae. Yeah, okay. that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I and, knew the second one was true, but I didn't mm-hmm. know about the other ones. Yeah, they're actually. So I said there are fifteen thousand seven hundred forty-nine islands in the Pacific Ocean. There's actually close to thirty thousand islands in the Pacific Ocean alone. Which is nuts. That's insane. It's a lot of islands, and like we inhabit seven of them. That was, that's where probably like a bunch of those mis- or like undiscovered tribes and stuff are. That like would to, be incredible. And you know, wouldn't put it past people to live there. Atlantis. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just All right. A hard no. Mark, what do you got for us to stump our brains? All right. Where were the Aegean? Bronze Age civilization. Psyops. No. Scythe. Where were the scythes? You okay? Not really. Who are the Sith? Where are the Sith from? Where were the other Siths going? Okay, where were the Aegean Bronze Age civilizations located? Algeria, India, Greece, or Spain? Greece. What was uh? What were the answers again? Algeria, India, Greece, Spain. Uh, I'm gonna go Spain. The Bronze Age Aegean civilizations, including the Minoans of Crete and the Messenians of mainland, were located in what is now Greece. I am the smartest man alive. (laughs) (laughs) This man has played a little too much Age of the Empires, but, you know, it's all right. That game has dominated my life the past, like, (laughs) two weeks. I I adore that game so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a new one for anyone that cares. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's all I've been playing. It's so much fun. Is it running a little better on your computer or no? Oh, it looks bad. Oh. <laughs> but it runs fine. Oh. Goes into settings and like turns all of everything down everything to like the has minimum. To be, yeah. But it means it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean yeah. you don't really need it that much for that game. Or, or, eh. Eh. It's it's fine. I mean, I'll everything's I'll you, fine. I'll invite you over sometime, Evan. You can see what it's supposed see to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll just be a completely different game. Like, yeah. oh, this this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. I paid way too much money for the stupid laptop. It's like playing Cyberpunk on an actual next gen console <laughs> versus like Xbox One. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Why is oh, that just so Why is that just my life? Every brand yeah. new game yeah. I get is just I, I'm shocked the worst. You, I'm shocked you don't have like a like a standard desktop pc by now for that like a dedicated gaming pc i just feel like that'd be something that you would want but right if i didn't do it during covid lockdown i think that time is time is it's passed, passed yeah. yeah i didn't say that when i got the puppy but yeah, i was gonna say you got a dog instead <laughs> right yeah. yeah she is my world so yeah we'll have to try playing it uh, maybe over christmas when you're free jake and you'd probably get into it too so that's when we'll start our twitch and also our video game podcast remember that yeah, yeah <laughs> From episode no, that's two. still you guys that's <laughs> that's, <not me. laughs> honestly at this point that's not happening for years <laughs> <laughs> 
There's just no time in our calendars. You see the bags underneath these eyes? (laughs) All right, Evan. Well, you are leading us in today's topic, so do you want to introduce it to uh, the peoples? Yes. I am so excited to talk about this topic. I am Um, too. This is a fun one. So today, we're going to be talking about the Sea Peoples. Now, the Sea Peoples are one of the most fascinating, honestly, mysteries of history. And we'll be talking about this, of course, quite in depth about who maybe they were, kind of what they really did. But as we know now, uh, historians know now, they were a group of raiders and sailors that honestly appeared out of nowhere. Um, So they appeared during the Bronze Age, the later Bronze Age uh, of human civilization. They wreaked absolute havoc. They said really bad body order. (laughs) Yeah, they wreaked. That's how they just... Destroyed. That's plausible. I mean, that's probable. I mean, I mean everyone <laughs> back then probably didn't. They were great, probably so. very salty human yeah. beings. I oh, can't yeah. imagine. Oh, I see what he did there. So see what he did. Salty sea people. Do you see what I did there? Oh, oh. yeah, the call again. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I'm dead. <laughs> they crippled entire empires, uh, and some historians actually credit them with destabilizing and effectively ending what was known as the Bronze Age. So. A literal, literal thousands of years of human civilization advancement where just so many incredible discoveries were made for the time. Um, looking back at it, it's like, you didn't know what the wheel was? Dummies. <laughs> but, I mean, just incredible stuff was happening here. And then the Sea Peoples were like, that's enough of that. You're done. Yeah. Give me everything. Um, the mystery, however, is that to this day... We do have some of that, some idea where they came from, kind of what their names were, but there isn't a concrete answer, like a for sure this is exactly who they were, uh, where they came from, what their inspirations were, and then especially this one, where they went. So they kind of just came in, tipped over all the churches and wreaked havoc, and then left. Some say that, well, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, was it the first historical uh, hit and run? <laughs> just, <laughs> just on a mass scale? <laughs> just on a century's like, length, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we're calling... That's the title of the episode. The first ever... See people's <laughs> the first hit and run. run. It's like they run into a boat. It's like, hey, <laughs> what's your insurance? Like, what? My axe. <laughs> Yeah, so I know I know Evan's got like a bunch of stuff about like the sea people specifically, and I have some stuff about it too. So I'll like contribute to this. But uh, I watched like one lecture I took most of my notes from, and it went into more so like the different factors that could contribute to the collapse of the Bronze Age. So I I know we're gonna talk a lot about the sea people, but I'll also probably either towards the end or whatever have some more information that I found that's un- like a newer theory that's come up in recent years because. For a while, it was like a very prominent theory that it was the Sea Peoples that were pretty much the main cause for the collapse of the Bronze Age. But in recent years, there's been a lot of new like discoveries and just new theories that have been brought up saying like, well, maybe it was this, this mm-hmm. and this, too. So, well, and actually, I'm going to say, let's actually jump into that now, because I think it actually precedes a lot of the Sea People stuff from the standpoint of the Sea People may have actually ultimately caused the final collapse but a lot of the things I, th- I think Jacob's going to touch on were things that happened before they actually started their invasion, things that often hurt or crippled societies yeah. p- beforehand. 
And let's just hear what a couple of those were. I know I'll just say I know a lot of it was natural disasters. So do you have much on on that type well, of thing? Well, I, I was kind of gonna let Evan because I know I think Evan has some stuff just on the Bronze Age in general, just oh, like his he? background oh, stuff. Okay. All right, let's <clears> hear about I, the Bronze Age. I think we're gonna go into that first, and then we can go into some of the other stuff as we go. Sounds good. Yeah, this is like we're gonna be covering quite a bit of stuff that kind of was lost to the ages for a long time. I mean, a lot of the information that we have and what we'll be talking about today literally came off the walls of Egyptian tombs. Yeah, I kind of call this an Egyptian topic almost because yeah. like, that's our only real first-hand source that we have like mm-hmm. to go off of, at least for writings. Yeah, because well, they pretty much were the only society that made it out of this okay, right? Yeah, well, I they, mean... And they were just like the only ones that wrote it down, really. Um, yeah. So. yeah, like we'll talk about the hit, the Hittites. They just didn't write anything down yeah. about about this and yes. yeah it's it's so insane. there's a lot that's going to go into this so we're going to try and keep it as coherent as we can and not mm-hmm. jump around too much but that may happen once or twice i was about to say by the same time we can talk about space at any time yeah. we have that <laughs> yeah that's our favorite thing to do here. yeah um but today like jacob mentioned we're going to cover the kind of what the bronze age was what the bronze age who the <laughs> Who the main uh, em- empires were and the players were, uh, the Sea Peoples and their effect on the world at the time, and then finally, kind of some theories. I know Jacob said that now that we do have some evidence, but I did just for the fun of it look back and see kind of what some old theories were, and some of them are a little surprising. So I won't get into that now, but very excited to dive into those. What people, including myself, thought that the like who the Sea Peoples were. It's kind of amazing, not only how contentious this has been for dec. Er- centuries now mm-hmm. but also that we're still finding new information today which is like 3500 years in the past now for mm-hmm. this, a lot of this stuff so it's really cool that we can still get new information out of a lot of this stuff like i know we when we talked about the origins of the pyramids they just found new information like a few years ago and now on this they found new information like a few years ago so mm-hmm. it's just crazy to me that we can still make leaps in stuff like this that's like literally millennia old right and like the reason why i wanted to actually do this topic um in high school i believe is our sophomore year of high school i went up to our ancient history professor and there was literally just in our textbook there was a small paragraph which talked about the end of the bronze age and it mentioned the sea peoples and that they were just responsible for the collapse of this incredible age of human civilization so i went up to him like do we have any idea who these people were and he's like i got nothing <laughs> and that was just our teacher's response yeah he's like i don't know go away <laughs> well because that was like the answer for historians yeah for it's while. not even it his just, fault yeah it was just the best <clears throat> guess at what happened at the time like for probably like 70 years i think it was that was like mm-hmm. the prevailing theory so yeah anyways evan take us away so we're gonna dive into the bronze age first so what the Bronze Age was, it's, of course, the first time that humans started work with metal, specifically bronze, in case you couldn't uh, pick that up really? from the name of it. Now, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they put down their stone tools and finally just decided to do some smelting. Got their smithing stats I up. just want to know how they figured the it out. RuneScape mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Like, do you guys ever think about how did they, like, figure out the right thing to melt together to make something like this? It has to be just so, like, circumstance or just happenstance. Yeah, it, it's got to just be, like, something, like, some 
twist of fate ended up where someone dropped something into another thing and then they got this. There's a ton of trial and error. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. I guess you could even say maybe it was just military focus, too. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were the emperor or whatever was just like, I'm sick of the, like using slingshots with stones. It sounded like there was a lot to do. So, well, I'm, sure that, right. so I'm sure there were people who were just like, I'm going to try Well, we're also talking about like the Egyptians who built giant structured pyramids right? yeah. and mm-hmm. like had a good grasp on mathematics. They had a pretty stuff. good R&D team. Yeah, so they, they, they had some <laughs> yeah. smart people. Right. So. Um, actually, the ancient Sumerians were apparently the first people to figure it out, but you can see... At different times in history, people who have never met actually figure out how to like harness bronze all all in the relatively same time, like in this couple thousand years. So, for example, the Sumerians were the first people to do it in roughly like 3300 BC. And then a couple, like I'd probably say 500 years later, like England, like the tribes in England actually discovered how to use it. So like you're seeing like multiple civilizations just kind of learn how to do it. I'm very curious to see if just it would be curious to know like how each one discovered right like each like how to do this. Well, and one one crazy thing about like this time period uh, specifically like the late bronze age is what I got most of my notes for, but it's like how this was like one of the first instances of a globalized community where yeah. like every like civilization pretty much worked together. Not not as like up to standard as we are today where we trade with the entire world and we have communications across the world in like an instant but for the time to, for them to have such a globalized economy and trade system it was you were maybe one or two people removed from getting what you needed without having to actually contact the people like let's say if the hittites wanted something from the mycenaean or the mycenaeans in greece and they're in turkey they could talk to someone in the middle and say, hey, we need this. If you're going there, can you get it and bring it back? Which is pretty insane for this time period to have that well-established communication with another civilization that, for the most part, you're just going to war with other than, like, trading and stuff. Yeah, literally the invention of, like, an economy. Yeah. And, like, trade. (laughs) And that's pretty incredible. It's really good, but it's also part of the reason why whole thing ended up collapsing because right one cog in the wheel gets missed and then you're done for good but damn cog <laughs> i also thought it was interesting because i don't know if you saw this but there is an international language that they all had at the time called akkadian which really uh, yeah i did not know so i guess it makes sense because how are you going to communicate if with right. this globalized economy pretty much without having some sort of universal code even if it wasn't like a very structured language, they had some sort of way to communicate like universally, which I thought was crazy, but I never would have known that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So kind of continuing. So like Jacob mentioned, there was this universal language, but this is also the bronze age was also the time where the first writing systems came into place. And we mentioned before, this is when the invention of the wheel took place. I'm sure that was actually the driving factor of driving. Hey, <laughs> oh. I made one. I made one. I didn't even try to. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, the Bronze Age, like the main civilizations, like we're going to be talking about, they're pretty much based around the uh, Middle East, the Mediterranean, and then also different parts of Asia. This part of just what the Middle East was, it's also referred to as like the Fertile Crescent, uh, the Cradle of Civilization. Uh, there's a ton of other names. This is also just 
like when you talk about like biblical history, um, is also where like the proposed Garden of Eden may have been, like the first ever humans, um, and also where agriculture and where cities actually started to happen. And then these cities became city states. And then these city states were like, hey, if we all just like put our warriors together, we could do some real business, and then became empires. So it's really interesting to see just the slow progression of humans deciding to, like you mentioned, work together, but at the same time just kind of become one and no longer like tribes wandering from like place to place, selling down, building walls, and establishing governments that just mistreat you. So. Yeah. But I mean, it makes For sense. For like that time, let me just not. But I mean, it makes sense just in the fact no, that. No, no, still. Yeah, still. <laughs> it, it makes Thank sen- you. <laughs> it makes sense just in the fact that this is the Bronze Age. And for bronze, to make bronze, you need copper and tin. And copper was pretty readily available in most of the areas around the Mediterranean. But tin really wasn't. So tin was like a huge commodity that people needed across the board. So that's kind of that I, I read somewhere that the, it was comparable to what crude oil is today. That's how important huh. it was in this time period, just because everyone needed it to stay competitive if they did get in battles because they needed that weapons grade bronze. So they needed good tin deposits to use. And so a lot of it came from past like past Turkey in the Middle East, like kind of where Afghanistan is today. So all of that needed to be shipped west into like the Mediterranean and like the like early Greek areas. So that's kind of the, a big driving factor as to why a lot of these civilizations ended up working together. It's just because they needed stuff from other mm-hmm. people. So I'm just picturing like, you know how today guys just, they see like, Oh, that's a really cool. Like new shotgun, like hundreds, especially like that's a cool, like rifle, shotgun, light it up. Just back in the day, they're like, dude, do you see this new model spear? Yeah, right. Do you check out the sword? It's bronze. You're still using stone? <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> the new Nimbus 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, uh, in one of in the lecture that I watched, there is a picture of, it was a, a bronze dagger that had, I think it was called uh, lapis lazuli stone in it, which is used to make like jewelry and stuff today, which is found in the Middle East. So it was... Hmm. It was like a really decorative, but also very structurally sound weapon at the time. So it was wow. pretty cool. To me, it's not surprising that it took civilization as long as it did to continue to evolve. Because honestly, who was the first guy who was like, if we dig really deep, <laughs> yeah, who knows what the hell is down there? <laughs> I mean, that alone probably took a thousand years. The guy's like, if we go even further than that. The first guy's probably like, dude. 10 feet there's nothing down there <laughs> you know so i feel like that's a factor well too, it's like but. they just had iron deposits sitting around at the same period that this is all happening but mm-hmm. they didn't know that it was worth anything and it's not like today where you can almost figure out ahead of time what's kind of down there you know at the time right. how do i know what's in afghanistan as opposed to like what's in north america right. like how do mm-hmm. i know what how what uh, elements happen in what yeah. locations or climates or right. whatever so that's kind of crazy to think about but i i did hear most of their like uh why they went started digging so much was because someone had a made a monster jam that was like dig and dig and dig and dig and dig yeah they actually had like no control that but that's what i've heard digging out them holes he's all originated in the bronze age yes disney just stole them right from under their noses yeah all right the lyrics and tunes are on like the egyptian there's just a picture of a box and it says Stanley Yellman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 
Wow, that is so funny. Oh, man. So the Bronze Age lasted from, so it started in roughly 3300 BC, uh, went on to 1200 BC, and ended abruptly with the near simultaneous collapse of several prominent Bronze Age civilizations, uh, which included the Hittites and then the ancient Egyptian Empire. Um, we also mentioned that we're going to talk about the Mycenaeans, Jake. Mycenaeans, Mycenaeans and like Minoans and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of little independent civilizations kind of around where Italy and Greece are today that mm-hmm. were all a part of this whole time period as well. So mm-hmm. I also think it's worth to mention there were right around 23 historians guess that there were right around 23 million people in the world like at this time. And if you put that in perspective, that's just the size of modern day Taiwan. So which not a lot, <laughs> not a ton for the entire world. So, I mean, just the fact that they were able to establish a lot of different, like, trade routes and all that were pretty impressive. Yeah. I uh, I don't know if you saw this in any of your research, but uh, just to put in perspective how little had been excavated and stuff at the time, like, there is a, a shipwreck that they found off the coast of one of the Mediterranean islands or off the coast of Turkey, I don't remember, but they found a bunch of goods that were being shipped, and there was, like thousands of pounds worth of bronze and copper and stuff on the ship and like really? tinted glass and stuff like that on there so they just had all of this stuff that they were leisurely shipping to other countries because they already had enough so it's like that just shows how many resources were still available because it was such a fresh discovery it's just cool to see like how they used it and like the fact that people were so open to giving this to other civilizations even though they knew these people could use this against us. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was just kind of an unspoken rule saying, like, we're going to help you. You help us. We're not going to get in each other's way. Whereas then it's like, oh, you have oil. Yeah, yeah right. 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 Hmm. You got a little uh, It'd be a shame if someone else had that oil. <laughs> 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 you got a little, uh, little, something, to, little something to spare? <laughs> you don't? Oh, I'll take uh, the lot. I'll, yeah. I'll take the lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Be a real shame if your whole civilization went missing, huh? Yeah. How do you feel about democracy? <laughs> <laughs> you love it? No, that's not what I said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so just some quick highlights of just two different things that happened during the Bronze Age. So this is where the Babylon Empire actually started the Code of Harambe. Harambe! Harambe! Oh, my oh, no. goodness. Okay, we've Sorry. got two possible episode <laughs> titles now. <laughs> The Code of Harambe. No, it's the <laughs> Code. The, first run. <laughs> yeah. the Code of Hammurabi. Sorry. Either way. The Code of Hammurabi, which was the first written down law system. Uh, he wrote it down. I believe it was on like ten pillars throughout the Babylon Empire. Um, it's always with these ten pillars. <laughs> <laughs> it's always ten. It's, it's always okay. pillars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a stone tablet would have done it, my dude. <laughs> yeah. And this is also when Homer wrote his uh, legendary Iliad and Odyssey, uh, which also is when the uh, supposed Trojan War happened, if you believe that, which I do. And the biblical Exodus. And the biblical that's, Exodus. That's yes. all. That, just to like, give you a little frame yeah, of reference. That was kind of a busy time yeah, period. There's a lot going on yeah. in this yeah. time in the world. It was actually super interesting. I think I do have some notes about it uh, later, but just the time of the Exodus actually happens like just before the Sea Peoples come on the scene. And then we will talk a little bit about how that applies to Bible history, but yeah, it's super interesting that that was that was going on. Yeah, there's, and then Egypt was boned. Yeah, yeah. Which philosopher did you say? 
uh, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, if that's what you were talking about. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. And so that's actually like a big tie-in with the Sea Peoples. A lot of people question whether the Odyssey was a story that was based on a lot of what the Sea Peoples did. Right. So, Which very well could have been. I mean, we'll definitely get into it, but very excited. I don't know. (laughs) So just with the Sea Peoples. So now we're actually going to dive into the Sea Peoples. No more. Wait, do you want to talk about the Bronze Age (laughs) stuff? dive in see not not really i just had i just had more like uh stuff about like who was around during the period like the egyptian pharaohs at the time just to like give you an idea of this this is the late bronze age which they consider the late bronze age from 1700 to 1200 bc so we had like king tut and hatshepsut the first female pharaoh and ramses the second and third they're all kind of major names that were going around in egypt at the time and Ramses III specifically is going to be someone that we're probably going to bring up multiple times in this just because Mm -hmm. one of the writings that he had is something that is used now because it was a direct reference to the Sea Peoples. So he's one of the only like firsthand sources that we have as a reference for writing uh, on what the Sea Peoples did and who they were. So we're going to probably get into that guy a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. that'll be as we go. So yeah, his writings are honestly, I found a little comical. It's so funny. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about that as we go along, too, just how funny some of the writings in Egypt at the time were and how they use it was kind of like an early form of propaganda for some of them almost. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that, too. Mm-hmm. But so with the Sea Peoples, they were among all the ancient civilizations that we've discussed so far on this podcast. Um, they're honestly one of the most important when it comes to historical impacts, I would say. Um, super influential just because of the fact there are some historians accredit them with the devastation of the Bronze Age. Um, but how they actually receive their name, so they don't have a formal name such as like the Hittites or Egyptians, that's because we're still not just 100% on where they came from or even how they refer to like themselves, uh, which is super interesting. You would think that a they just were illiterate from all the sources that I've seen. They just didn't write anything down. So that's how we don't have a lot of information about them. Well, and there's people that say that the fact that people didn't write anything down about them could mean that they were a known quantity in the area. And that's oh, yeah. the reason why everyone was just kind of like, these are common knowledge things that we don't really need to document for other people because everyone already knows about it. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Egyptian writings come in. It's propaganda, like more of a propagandistic like tool kind of to, just to show that, hey, the pharaoh is the protector of Egypt and he defeated these people that have been terrorizing the coasts of the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So look at how good our king is versus actually defeating them the way that they say they did. So Propaganda is just so funny. It was around in 3300 BC. Yeah, it, it's like, so funny to see that people really haven't changed all that no, much. No. They're just trying to like show how mighty they were. Right. No. And it's the same thing in Sparta too because they just took the uh, that the whole story that 300 the movie is based on they just took that and blew it out of proportion just mm-hmm. so that on the battlefield they'd have more of a reputation but that's a whole other podcast yeah. oh gosh yeah <laughs> um so we still don't have concrete descriptions of what the sea peoples looked like uh why they were doing what they were doing but we'll talk about a little bit what some of the potential motivations may have been or where they are completely from but they sacked a countless number of major cities and keep in mind, like cities, 
literally just started at this point in history. So literally got built up, and then the sea, sea peoples were like, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Get your walls out of my face. Also, yo-ho, yo-ho. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, main timeline that I saw uh, for the Sea People's activity was from 1220 B.C. to roughly 1170 B.C. Yeah, and those dates are back and forth between mm-hmm. historians just because as timelines change, because the, the basis that they're using for that is in Ramses III's writing on the temple wall where he was buried, that he mentions that in year eight of his reign that this all happened. And so as historians better figure out when his reign actually was, they go back and forth between dates on what year eight actually would have been. Mm-hmm. So it's like anywhere around, I guess, 1186 to 1177 for what like the actual dates would be. So, so with the Sea Peoples, Honestly, wherever they went, like we mentioned, they sacked a ton of different cities. Wherever they went, literal destruction followed. And for example, they brought the Hittite Empire, which was one of the most advanced empires of the time and spanned from what modern Turkey is today to, I believe it was like roughly half of Israel, let's say, brought to their knees in no time, like a hundred, if not thousand years old empire just brought to its knees by some people in boats. Flaming arrows, man. They'll get you. Honestly, fire was pretty lethal back then. Still is today, but flaming arrows probably had a devastating effect. Yeah, I mean, if you're coming at them for boats on the sea and then just, like, bombarding them with fire, it's probably going to do a good amount of damage. I'd be pretty pissed if someone shot fire at me. Yeah. Not going to lie. A little upset. A little pissed. So, kind of just diving into how they conquered the Hittite Empire. So, first off, they sacked uh, dozens of port cities uh, in Cyprus, in Syria, also in Palestine, in Israel. Uh, All these cities were basically destroyed. And apparently, with the capital of the Hittite Empire, uh, Hattusa, uh, which was considered the most advanced and one of the most well-fortified cities in the world at the time, was actually wiped out overnight. So there was no siege. There was nothing like that. It was just wiped out overnight. And with the fall of Hattusa came the fall of the entire Hittite Empire. And yet the Sea People's invasions marked only the beginning of what would be considered like the great upheaval of the region. Or excuse me, their invasion of the Hittite Empire was just like the start of their activity. Uh, Later, the apparent or the alleged city of Troy went up in flames. And despite partial reconstruction, uh, was then condemned to insignificance after uh, it was destroyed. Yeah, uh, for the Hittites, uh, the the king of a, a city called Ugarit, which was right on the coast of Syria, now modern day Syria, and like the area where Turkey and the Hittites kind of were. Uh, there was a private letter that they found, and I, I believe it was to the king of Cyprus, and it states. When your messenger arrived, the army was already humiliated and the city was sacked. Our food in, in the threshing floors was burnt and the vineyards were also destroyed. So whoever was coming in and doing the damage, they just literally destroyed the entirety of the cities. Like all of their goods, all of their like their vineyards and stuff like that. Like anything they were growing, their agriculture was just destroyed. So they really just went like kill and burn everything. Sounds like they copied my 
Age of Empires meta strat. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy everything. Yeah. Burn go everything. Go for the economy. Everything else tumbles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We need more lumber. <laughs> uh, in addition, the Mycenaean. Uh, I know I'm mispronouncing that. Mycenaean. Mycenaean, I think. Is Mycenaean palaces uh, of the kings in Mycenae, uh, Tyrans, Pylos, and other locations in mainland Greece. Also perished in the seemingly all-encompassing devastation of the Sea Peoples. Um, I also did have that quote from Jacob, but he covered that. I don't know why I'm saying that out loud on the <laughs> podcast. Just move on, Evan. <laughs> um, but uh, some basically diving into what their motivations and what the actual inspiration may have been. And Jacob, this is where probably a really good time to just talk about. Like, the other natural catastrophes, but some historians believe that the sea peoples were forced to start uh, this time of like raiding and devastation and literally just destroying everyone uh, due to a series of natural catastrophes. I actually watched Seinfeld again. That's so good. Oh, I love that. This is the most putting it on Netflix was dangerous. Oh yeah. There goes my life. Uh, But the fall of the bronze age, um, or excuse me, we already covered that. Uh, the motivations behind the Sea Peoples was due to a series of natural catastrophes that handled the entire ass to the Mediterranean Ocean and all of its people. So, yeah. Jacob, I don't know if you want to want to dive into there. Into yeah. So, so, from what I watched, there was a, a lecture by a man named Eric Klein who wrote a book called 1177 BC, The Year Civilization Collapsed. So, if that gives you any idea of what the book's all about... Uh, <laughs> but uh opens it up and it's like just a later day or an older day like harry potter <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of what he found from this lecture that i watched is he he researched a lot of other people's works and a man named reese carpenter from cambridge university and i believe this was around like 1950s he theorized that part of the reason why a lot of like the early greek civilization specifically disappeared in this time was because there's a major drought going on And at the Mm -hmm. time, he didn't really have any evidence to back that up. But in 2010 and on, there have been a bunch of excavations kind of in dry lake beds and stuff in that area from where they believe these peoples would have lived. And they took a bunch of pollen samples from the dirt there, which they tested and proved that there was a dry period of about 300 years from 1200 to 900 BC. So that's right around the time that starts right around the time that the Bronze Age is supposedly collapsing. So without any with this already being a kind of a bad climate and bad region to plant, and that's kind of what the Greek area was known for is how hard it was to maintain an agricultural lifestyle, which is why they did a lot of trade with a bunch of like different cultures like Egypt and like modern day Turkey, because they had a lot better agricultural land with rivers and stuff coming inland. So that's a big driving factor for why a lot of People say the Greeks eventually left that area and kind of moved eastern and southeast. And this evidence that they found in the pollen is also backed up as well by there's records of the sea being cooler at the time, which would thus lead to there being less rainfall in the area, which would also make it harder to plant crops, which led in turn to a famine. And so in most modern textbooks for history, it seems like there is like a timeline where it says drought into famine into the sea peoples, cutting off trade routes into collapse. And it was a very simple, like, I don't want to say simple, but 
it was a very easy to follow timeline. And now there's a lot of people saying that it wasn't that simple and they're just kind of putting it as a simple, it's layman's terms so that kids can understand it basically. But, or adults with history podcasts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's basically just a combination of all of these things with like the drought leading to a famine and that same city of Ugarit, which had the letter about their town being sacked, also had letters saying that, and I quote, there's a famine in our house. We will all die of hunger. If you do not quickly arrive here, we ourselves will die of hunger. You will not see a living soul from your land. And there's another one saying, here with me, plenty has become famine. So there's plenty of records stating that there is a lack of food, not only in the Greek areas, but also in Turkey where there is better agriculture. So just all in all, there is a lot of things going on. And at the same time, there's there's no real record of this besides archaeological digs that may prove that there was a bunch of earthquakes going on at the same time mm-hmm. because they found uh, like skeletons underneath doorways and stuff like that with rubble that had crushed them or like hit them in the head or something, which is believed that they stood under the doorway knowing that that was like a safer area to be during an earthquake, maybe just from past times where earthquakes had happened and they saw, well, this door frame was one of the strongest parts of the like house that stood up. So like there's that research saying that maybe there was a bunch of earthquakes and even modern day from, I believe like 1900, there was a study that was done on earthquake locations. And a lot of them line up with the coastlines and stuff of the Mediterranean because there's a major fault line that runs through there. Right. So all of this stuff combining into the same time period kind of pushed a lot of people from the western part of this area pushed them south or east to try and find somewhere where it was more suitable that they could live and i mean if there's already a famine going on and there's people living there already you're gonna have to try and take out these people to sustain your own lifestyle so Mm -hmm. it's a very very complex combination of things that kind of led to this and that's where the whole thing with the sea people comes in on how big of a role did they actually play in everything? Was it more so natural disasters that caused most of the collapse or was it just that the sea peoples came in at the perfect like clinching point in history and just pushed everything over the edge? So, yeah, I thought I could be wrong, but I thought they also were able to date some potential volcanic volcanic eruptions around that time period oh, sure, yeah. and uh in turn because of all the earthquakes uh and we're talking mostly about coastal cities uh, a lot of tsunamis from earthquakes potentially w- wiped out coastal areas too which would all make sense yeah I mean, if there's a ton of like seismic activity that's going to push all of this into overdrive so yeah and i mean those know. coastal cities were if there is a globalized economy going on, yeah. you're going to need those ports. So Yeah, yeah for sure. We're going to need all seven of these ports. Yeah. It yeah. took thousands of years to get them. We need them. And that's where the whole, if you interrupt mm. this globalized economy, if one section goes down, say if one of those coastal cities in Turkey goes out, no one's getting their tin. Everything else is starting to go into chaos. And then yeah. with that chaos, people just start imploding on each other. And there's even evidence of just like, internal conflicts in different areas where mm-hmm. with all the religious strife and stuff going on with different people's ideologies clashing it was just like civil unrest basically so right and not even to be like make it a pun but it almost was like the perfect storm because yeah. it weakened the 
major cities that already existed meanwhile pushing what was likely the areas where the sea people originated from into a desperate situation to need it to go and overtake these other civilizations mm-hmm. so it was kind of like both sides yeah absolutely that's a very interesting point i also think it's an interesting note here like of course like we're all very familiar with like biblical history just with our private school education yeah um but apparently like i just did some digging just because famine i saw that readily in all my research coincides with jacob and and, yeah yeah, a little bit so allegedly uh the story of joseph takes place in like 18 tomato tomato no jacob's right there that's me yeah that's probably uh, what got in my head there with a fresh you were there (laughs) with a fresh new dude um or a color for cloak (laughs) I almost wore a colorful shirt that I just bought, so it would have worked. Well, that flannel's a little colorful. Kind of. little muted colors, but... (laughs) We're getting you off track. (laughs) Welcome to Fashion Corner, where you can't see anything we're talking about. (laughs) And next, I'm going to describe another TikTok for everyone. Uh, But biblical historians place the events of Joseph uh, in 1876 BC. So, granted, the dates may be a little bit off, but, I mean, this is when allegedly, uh, just the story of how Joseph is, where the Egyptians actually started storing grain in preparation for, like, a huge famine. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to call out, just how there was, like, obviously there's records of actual famine taking place, and then biblical history kind of lines up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I also so I read multiple things that said they think those might have been at the same time period. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is- very interesting. Well, we'll get into a. I, I'm assuming Evan's going to get into a certain group of people that's also mentioned multiple times in the Bible that yeah. is a major player in the Sea People story. Yeah, yeah they were kind of dicks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they were like foreshadowing. Honestly, they were like a pretty cool civilization when all is said and done. Because, well, I guess we'll get into it as we go, so I won't mention it now. But, mm. but yeah, that's kind of all I had for their motivations. I mean, I think Jacob did a, I mean, tremendous job covering what forced them to potentially do all their raiding and destroy other civilizations is just kind of a survival. Yeah. And there's evi- like archeological evidence of Greek people being over in like the Turkey and mm-hmm. Syria areas because there is pottery that was found, which was in like a Mycenaean style, but it was made with clay from the area where like the ancient Hittites and stuff were. Mm-hmm. So it just shows that there was those groups of people had moved either that or there is, just an influence in their art style but either way it just shows that there was a bunch of contact back and forth that way so right probably from like the trojan war yeah i guess i so. love the side tangent i love the trojan war it's just such an interesting piece of history and right obviously just also developed two of the best works of literature of all time yeah but anywho uh next i wanted to dive into kind of the egyptian raids that they did so uh the sea people started out with the hittite empire Really just kind of wreaking havoc, toppled an entire dynasty. Um, but then, after that, they moved on to the Egyptians. They really did just, like, make a horseshoe around the coast of the Mediterranean right. and back down to Egypt. They made sure to hit all the hot spots it's before really they like got an, to Egypt. It's crazy how, like, systematic it was. What if they just wanted to see the pyramids real bad? <laughs> they just like, like, kind of cool. I heard about them. Right, yeah, we're just going to do a selfie, but it's, like, just, like, them, like, inscribing a tablet with, with imagery. It's like us in the pyramids. What's the guy doing? He's been out there for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> My dang pick keeps on breaking. 
So, like we've been talking about quite a bit, the reason why modern scholars and historians know as much as I almost said as we do, like we're yeah, scholars and historians. We know. <laughs> yes, our very inclusive historic or historian community that we're very much part of. The reason why we know so much about them uh, is because a lot of this came from actual Egyptian writings uh, based on the raids that the Sea Peoples did. Um, and it can be found on. Uh, I don't think it was pyramids, but it was like burial chambers. It, it, or was, was, like, it, it was like a temple, basically. Temple, yeah, gotcha. Where, where uh, I bl- the major one was Ramses' burial site. Ramses, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was Ramses the second and third's burial site. So okay, but Egypt suffered two major attacks by the Sea Peoples. Uh, one in year five of King Marin. Phew, Marintaz, Marintaz. <laughs> I didn't write it down, but I know which name it's you're talking you, it's about. It's when you look at it and go, pass. <laughs> <laughs> By a king, you get it. <laughs> uh, during his reign, and then the other, and like Jacob mentioned, uh, in the reign of Ramses III, uh, <laughs> King M's victory over the Sea Peoples was commemorated on the walls of Karnak Temple, uh, which names the individual Sea Peoples tribes involved along with some of their libyan allies so i do have a quote from it and let me know if you have a different quote because i kind of noticed that in some of our quotes like they're a little bit different so i did notice in different sources that like different sources yeah there's there's a lot of names that are like really similar but Mm -hmm. they're just like a couple letters off right I'm, i'm pretty sure they're all the same reference points it's just that depends on what they saw or what they read basically mm-hmm. and i mean it's all Egypt, like ancient egyptian translations so yeah gotta give them some leeway yeah. considering they were translating hieroglyphics yeah but uh so here's the quote uh the wretched fallen chief of libya murie son of dead has fallen upon the country of tehenu with his bowmen sheridan shekelesh ekwesh luka teresh taking the best of every warrior and every man of war of his country. He has brought his wife and his children, leaders of the camp, and has reached the western boundary in the fields of... Oh, gosh. Of Perair. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. I, uh, oh, man. If historians actually listen to this, they'll be like, Have, has he ever said words before? <laughs> this is his first time saying a sentence. Cut you so cut yeah, you. <laughs> it's a little rough. I went to school for marketing. Leave me alone. Because, I mean, just like the inscription from Ramses the thirds, which is believed to be from 1177 mentions lands of Kate, Kode, Karkamesh, Arzawa, and Alshi, Alashia. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that quote too. <laughs> yeah. It's a bunch of different stuff. Right. Um, but the deciding battle uh, in the first round of Egyptian raids uh, was actually quite large when you put it in perspective of the 23 million people that lived on Earth at the time. So the Stella, which was, I believe, if I remember correctly. Stella! <laughs> thank you. Uh, so it records that over 6,000 Libyans and 1,000 Sea Peoples uh, were casualties of this major battle. And the alliance between uh, the Sea Peoples and the Libyans is very interesting. It's not completely understood, but it's believed that the Sea Peoples sail across the Mediterranean uh, to coastal Libya, uh, where they then formed an alliance with the Egyptians' eternal enemies, who were the Libyans? The Libyans? Libyans, yeah. Sure. Just always had to 
classic me just always has to like throw some extra flair <laughs> yeah. in there. Uh, the timing of the attack is actually very important as well uh, because some scholars, and Jacob, you mentioned this, just with um, the sacking of Troy and uh, the belief that after or this, the Sea Peoples were actually Greek, uh, some scholars believe that the Sea People sailed to Libya right after they sacked the legendary city of Troy in Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, I believe. Yeah, and with uh, the whole Libyan thing... Uh, so I, I went on Reddit and there's a cool subreddit called ask historians, which it's like a super cool thing where you can ask any historical question if you're doing some research on a topic and there'll be like very well researched responses and the moderators do a really good job of taking out anything that's not like thorough and like a very thought out answer. So I've, I went in there and just like searched sea peoples to see what I could find. And I found some pretty good answers. And there was one that talked about the battle with the Libyans and there is a battle relief on one of the walls of uh, a Taharka temple and it details a Libyan battle where all of the names are directly taken from a battle that happened 1800 years prior and reset into the same battle and so it's not like the that king was taking credit for that battle it pretty much scholars say that it's just showing that the king has that lasting title of being the protector of Egypt mm-hmm. and it's just showing that that power can like it goes descends down the line through each one. So that's why it was just a common tale. And so that's where it, a lot of this stuff is like, what do we actually think happened here? Is this actually fact by fact what happened mm-hmm. or who knows? So honestly insane. Just, the power of writing things down yeah. and what it means for history. Right. Because at the time, pe- they pretty much say, well, even though they wrote down the fact that the Sea Peoples came, it wasn't for posterity's sake to list all of these cities that were destroyed so that uh, like future historians would know that this city was destroyed and this city... Got wrecked. Yeah. This city got wrecked. <laughs> it was basically just to say, like, they all got destroyed, but we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> So this is why we're hot. <laughs> and then they played Mims. And then they were literally hot because they were on fire. Yes, because flame arrows. <laughs> so like I mentioned, there were two major Egyptian raids. And now so now we're going to dive into the second one. Uh, the next Sea People's attack on Egypt uh, took place during the reign of Ramses III, uh, who actually documented his uh, key victory over the mysterious invaders with inscriptions and pictorial reliefs on his mortuary temple at Medinet Habu. How do I nail that one? But I can't say, like, Perrier. <laughs> uh, the Sea Peoples attacked uh, once more with the Libyans, uh, but there were some fundamental differences in the second attack. Uh, first off, there were some different tribes which were involved in the second attack, and the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian reliefs, excuse me, uh, depict that families and livestock were actually moving along with the Sea People's warriors. So as opposed to the first round of attacks, this second round of attacks, they were actually looking to settle down, you know, start a family, do the American dream, I guess, just back in the Bronze Age. Um, but the Medinet Habu inscriptions also list that the cities in the Levant, uh, sorry, that the cities that the Sea Peoples destroyed before they arrived in Egypt um, it indicates that they went through a land from the northeast, but this inscription reads, and this is from Ramses III, uh, the inscription on his temple, 
the foreign countries conspired in their islands, referring to the sea peoples. All at once, the lands were removed and scattered in the fray. No land could resist their arms. From Hati, Kode, Karkamesh, Arzawa, and Alashia on, being cut off at one time. A camp was set up in Amuru. <laughs> I'm the worst reader of all time. <laughs> uh, they desolated its people and its land was like that which never had existed. They were coming forward toward Egypt while the flame was prepared for them. Their confederation was the Peleset, the Tekker, Shekelesh, Denon, and Weshesh, lands all united. They laid their hands upon the lands as far as the circuit of the earth. Their hearts were confident and trusting as they said, our plans will succeed. Yeah, and uh, in a later description, because that was the one that was from year eight of his reign. And so there was another description in, that he wrote about in the 12th year of his reign, where he speaks basically saying like, these people came twice while I was ruling and we pushed them back both times and they never came back. So that's pretty much where the story of the sea people like peters off and no mm -hmm. one really knows what happens from there on. Right. And just to kind of build off that key battle, like you mentioned, Ramses describes that he held them back. But apparently uh, Ramses allowed in that key battle, allowed the sea people's warships and their supply and cargo vessels to approach the mouth of the Nile where he had a small Egyptian fleet positioned in a defensive formation. He then waited uh, in the wings for the Sea Peoples to attack what they thought was an insignificant force, and then from there launched his full attack upon them uh, from the flanks, uh, sinking all their ships. And this battle involved the Sheridan Sea Peoples. Um, at least those were the only ones that were mentioned. And then after the battle, uh, like you mentioned, Jacob, this is where Ramses kind of toot his own horn yeah and he was kind <laughs> this of this is why i'm hot he was kind of known to do that because there's another story of where he pretty much was bragging about defeating a hittite army by himself like literally <laughs> without an army and the general's like okay the the uh hittite emperor king at the time heard about this and sent him a message saying like i heard what you're saying like stop spouting your bullshit and <laughs> he wrote back and like pretty much said the exact same thing like i defeated your army without the help of my army and, <laughs> and came in and defeated multiple groups of people <laughs> it's just like ramses was known to like very much put himself on a pedestal and i mean the thing at the time is like egyptian pharaohs were seen as gods so mm -hmm. i mean they really had to an, uh, a big reputation to uphold <laughs> so. i thought i had a god complex <laughs> <laughs> literally seen as gods right and so, told from birth yes you are the son of Ra. <laughs> so this is where like a lot of contention especially about ramsey's statements comes in and uh one scholar uh named barbara cafola or cifola <laughs> i was gonna say barbara manatee <laughs> oh my she uh, wrote an article titled Ramses III and the Sea Peoples, a structural analysis of the Medinet Habu inscriptions. And she says, quote, uh, she thinks that the encounter related in the text of year eight is probably nothing but a narrative condensation of a continuous, long lasting process consisting of small skirmishes and rebuffs of repeated attempts at assault and penetration into a sink 
single great military event to serve a precise propagandistic purpose. Right. So basically saying there's a ton of different little battles put into one major event to make it a lot a lot more epic. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what the truth is, like how how big of an effect did this have on the world at large, you know? Which makes sense. I mean, if you're Ramses and you want to be a propaganda machine, that's the way you do it. But in reality, I'm sure just with the Sea Peoples as well, I mean, they were raiders. I yeah. can't imagine they were mounting huge armies and trying to attack any way other than by sea. Like with the Nile, they could easily go through the river and do tactics that way. So I very much like hit and run tactics. So I very much doubt this is one climatic yeah. battle. And the thing is, too, with like you said, they're coming down the Nile River, which for the Egyptians is also like strategically good because mm-hmm. they, can, they have one route to come in and one route to go out. So they can easily blockade it one way or another, and that's probably how they ended up getting defeated ultimately, just because they didn't have like that strategic stronghold of the Mediterranean Sea to go back to if they needed to push out, so... Right. I'm so excited for people to hear that beep and immediately <laughs> look at their phones. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> All right. But the last recorded raid of the Sea Peoples occurred in 1175 BC, allegedly. Uh, the Egyptian army, like we mentioned, drove the invaders back to the sea. And like we mentioned, Ramses triumphantly recorded that their hearts and quote, their hearts and their souls are finished unto all eternity. And apparently, he was right. The Sea Peoples appear to have vanished from history from that point on. So, now I want to get into some popular theories. So, we've talked about quite a bit who we kind of, who history kind of thinks that they were. But here are just some popular theories of origin, uh, and then also of what happened to them that I think were interesting that I saw. Uh, This is, of course, before we had, like, the new information, but... The first one that I saw, these raiders were actually from the ancient civilization of Atlantis. Atlantis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So there's a little, well, there isn't credence, but you can see where they got this from. Uh, just because this would line up with the myth that Atlantis was destroyed by constant natural catastrophes, which were happening at the time uh, in the real world, in the real world, and which was recorded in different historical well, documents. Are you saying Atlantis isn't in the real world, Evan? I want it to be so bad. <laughs> you have no idea. I wish that like the movie Atlantis was real, like Milo and um, I forget the rest of the cast. But... Are you you're saying it's not? Based on true story, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no one has told Mark yet. <laughs> it's so funny though because it's, it's, like, it's like getting told Santa's not real. Yeah, I'm just devastated. <laughs> You're telling me that the most powerful energy source in the world isn't a giant crystal (laughs) surrounded by, like, masts? (laughs) What a movie. Uh, The next theory, which is pretty pretty logical, Uh, the raiders were actually Greeks who, after experiencing the the success of the invasion and desolation of Troy, continued to raid the remainder of Asia Minor and then Egypt. And this, of course, makes a lot of sense. Uh, because the massive fleet and army that is mentioned and which would have had to have happened or been available for the Greeks to take the city of Troy, um, it makes sense that they would just be like, hey, let's continue to wreck things around the Mediterranean. And uh, I read something today that, like, because the Minoans and the Mycenaeans, or Mycenaeans, the Mycenaeans are like mainland Greece, and the Minoans were like 
the islands just south of Greece. Mm-hmm. So they pretty much said that the Mycenaeans were kind of a warlike people, but pretty much they didn't raid anywhere unless they saw an opportunity to win or they needed it. Mm-hmm. So they were pretty much just an like economic power where they would trade with people and get what they needed. And it was the same for the Minoans. But, I mean, if you push those people out of their homeland because of all the drought and famine or whatever, and they need to go, they already have a fleet because one of them's an island nation and the other's a coastal nation. So mm-hmm. it would make sense that they would be one of these sea peoples just because of the amount of sea faring that they would have to do. Right. The other theory that I found was that it was actually the reverse. So the sea peoples were actually the survivors of Troy, who then went on to allegedly uh, begin the Roman Empire. There is also a rumor that like Romulus and um, his brother, who is escaping me. Ramus. Thank you. Uh, they were actually just refugees from the city of Troy and happened upon Italy. And, and some wolves. And some wolves. <laughs> Um, and then finally, uh, like Jacob mentioned, that a majority of the Sea Peoples actually settled down in Israel, and finding the land fertile became the infamous Philistines uh, that plagued the the Israelites. The Philistines, 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 Philistines. <laughs> tomato, tomato, potato, <laughs> potato. Sorry, Philistines, because we have a sign brenner here. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> these yeah, are my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Goliath over there. Uh, and this would make sense uh, as the Philistines were described as a large, bulky tribe uh, with a hankering for war. Yeah, and this is where I mentioned like this whole civilization is kind of cool as a whole because even though they were like a really warlike people, any place that they conquered, from what scholars pretty much are finding due to archaeo- like through archaeological evidence, their best guess is that they would take places over, but they wouldn't really push their ideologies on other people. But instead, they would learn from the culture that already lived there and mm-hmm. incorporate it into theirs. So that's why they had like a very large religion, because they would add different deities from different ideologies to theirs. And they would learn different styles of art and stuff from people that lived there. So it was more so just like a roaming troop of people that wanted to advance their civilization but they just did it by submitting people and then making them teach them their things so you guys could just ask (laughs) (laughs) and that's where like the mycenaean pottery and stuff comes in in like the different middle eastern countries so right that's super fascinating Hmm. like they didn't try to like hey no this is your religion now right because yeah that's what you normally hear is like especially like especially in later on with, with like crusades and stuff like that, it's deliberately going to push your religion onto someone else by mm-hmm. taking over a different land. Whereas these people were just like, no, you guys can still believe what you want. We're just going to like co-op that. Right. In ours. So yeah, just throughout history, this entire region is just never not at war. Yeah. It's then Alexander the great comes through and then Rome comes through. Yeah. Cause Rome comes like not, long after this because mm-hmm. there's a dark age and then pretty much that's when rome starts building its empire so right 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 so now to the true identities of the sea peoples uh who historians really think that they were so again thanks to the ancient egyptians uh the names of the sea peoples are known the names of most of the tribes but it has been the task of modern scholars to identify those names with either the tribe's places of origin or in some cases with the ultimate region of settlement. So basically where they came from or where they ended up. 
So it's a lot of guesswork here. A lot of, yes. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, by viewing the Sea Peoples in this way, a lot more light has been shown on their mysterious origins and identities. And perhaps one of the most mysterious of all these Sea Peoples was actually the Ekwesh. And now the Ekwesh are only mentioned in the Marin... I can't pronounce this name. In the Marinta... Sure. <laughs> I'd look at you. Like, I, I don't have it written anywhere yeah. in my notes. So. Uh, James is well-versed. You know? <laughs> yeah. no, I know what you're talking about because I saw the name and like everything I watched, but I don't remember how to say it. <laughs> in King M's inscriptions, uh, which is certainly important when one considers like the appearance in Egypt uh, after the legendary Trojan War. Modern scholars believe that this tribe was simply just the Egyptian pronunciation of Ekoyai, the ancient word for the Achaeans, as we mentioned before, the Achaeans being the Greek mainlanders, or just Greek in general. Yeah, Forget what, from what that we area. And another thing with the, the the inscriptions is there was like evidence of earlier Egyptian pharaohs doing trade with all of these northern countries and islands. Mm -hmm. So it could just be that there was a trade route that they ran through and encountered these peoples and then included them in the name just because they didn't know who was attacking them. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it could just be a mishmash of people that they had met along the way. Right. So, but... That's what's so interesting. Like, we still don't have a concrete... Like, they could have just been guessing. Yeah, this is... It's like the pyramid episode that we did. A lot of this is just guesswork based on things that we found. There's not a lot of concrete evidence that we have because it's not corroborated throughout different areas. It's mm -hmm. basically just Egypt that said this. So They were the only ones that wrote things down. Yeah. Um, but this theory, just with the Sea Peoples being Achaeans, uh, basically says that they were remnants or renegade bands of the Mycenaeans uh, when they first sieged Troy and then just sailed across the Mediterranean, to attempt to do the same to the Hittites as well as the Egyptians. So besides the phil philological similarity between the Achaean and Ekwesh, there is a passage in the Odyssey where the Greek slash Achaean slash Mycenaean heroes arrive in Egypt after their destruction of Troy, but are defeated by the locals. So I thought it was very interesting that even Homer himself wrote that there were actually there was actually a presence, a Greek presence in Egypt. Right. They try to do the same shenanigans. Yep. The Egyptian names of most of the other sea, peop sea peoples can also be traced to known locations in the Mediterranean basin. For example, the Luca are thought to have been associated with the region in Anatolia, known as Lycia, and were once believed to be allies of the Hittites before the empires collapsed, possibly. Uh, due to betrayal. The Teresh are generally associated with the Tuscany region of Italy and the Etruscan peoples, but it's unknown if they were originally from there or if they gave the name to the region after the collapse. The Tekker and Skellish, who may have actually been the same tribe, are believed to have originated in Sicily and then settled in the Levant after the invasions. Yeah, and some some scholars say that the Chijeker or Tekker. Yeah, I just went with Tekker. I didn't want to be like Chijeker. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a lot of people pretty much narrow it down to either being another Italian group like from Sicily or say that they're from Troy maybe. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it just shows how much there is. they still don't know. So much guesswork. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the two most interesting and 
perhaps the most historically important of the Sea People tribes, were the Danuna and Peleset. Most modern scholars believe that the these two tribes contribute heavily to the historical books of the old excuse me of the Old Testament and the ancient kingdom of Israel. But they were on the different sides of these struggles. The Danuna probably originated in the Anatolian region of Cilicia and then settled in Israel and became or integrated with the biblical tribe of Dan once the invasions had ended. The Peles tribe is now almost unanimously associated with the biblical Philistines, with their ultimate origins still being somewhat of a mystery. Although they are believed to have also been in Anatolia before arriving to Israel. Uh, do you have anything uh, to add there before we kind of wrap up? No, I mean, like, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, there's the Wishesh in there, too, but people pretty much say maybe they're from Troy as well because the ancient name for Troy was Walusa, mm-hmm. and that's the closest that people can come to Wishesh without, <laughs> like, completely butchering it. But I love it. It's like Wishesh, Walusa, and now we say Troy. Yeah, it's like, just like... so. Language is funny. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had as well. So it, mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see that, like, we're still learning a lot, and I think that's really cool. But it's also like we don't know for sure a mm-hmm. lot of this stuff. But we, I think, we have a pretty resounding yes that the full like the Philistines were a big part of what organized a lot of this. And I think I personally think that the Greeks in general were a big part of the sea people Mm -hmm. takeover just because of how bad, not bad, but like how tough it was already to promote your agricultural growth in that area, especially on the mainland. So it's just really tough to see any other way that they would survive if they didn't push into a different area. So that's my thought on it at least. The last thing I'll say about it is that it's interesting to me that we don't know more about where they came from since I had read that a lot of civilizations actually ended up hiring some of them to fight for them. Right, yeah. Uh, because of how good of warriors they were and conquerors they were, they would just hire them. Something kind of like the idea that if you can't beat them, hire them. Yeah, right. right. Pay uh, them. <laughs> but it's just interesting that they would, some, according to history, some of them were hired to not then have it documented maybe more. Uh, elaborately where they came from is a little there was no receipt yeah it's yeah. like a modern day hitman <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's true it's true mm-hmm. yeah this is honestly fascinating i am very much with you jacob i do think it's just the island nations that were around in the mediterranean at the time makes the most sense that was maybe most likely just like the greeks and uh mycenaeans and even a little bit of italia in there um just doing some raiding and pillaging. Especially if they already knew that a lot of the tin and stuff that they were getting was coming from that coast of modern-day Turkey. Mm-hmm. If you, They pretty much destroyed that coast, so that would make sense that they would go and settle there because they knew, well, not only do we have better agricultural land here, but we also have more resources that we can use for war. So Right, right, right. It, it makes a lot of sense in more ways than one. So to wrap this all up, the impact that the Sea Peoples had on world history was massive. They destroyed the Hittite Empire, brought down the city-state of Ugarit, and sent mainland Greece into a dark age, essentially. But as quickly as the Sea Peoples entered the historical record, they vanished almost as fast. The precise origins of the Sea Peoples may never be known, even though we've talked about quite a bit of different theories and who we think that they may have been. 
but based on a number of archaeological findings and the available ancient Egyptian texts, a reasonable conclusion can be drawn, like again, like we mentioned. The Sea Peoples originated from different parts in Europe and Anatolia uh, before they coalesced into a confederation that attacked several of the major Bronze Age powers. Then after the destruction was done and finished, some went back to Europe, or I guess we should say Greece, Italy, and Anatolia, slash modern-day Turkey, uh, and while others settled in the conquered lands, such as the Philistines in Israel. And I think that's what a lot of people probably ended up doing, just because there is that evidence of like inscriptions saying that people brought carts and like oxen and carts full of their family and their goods. Just mm-hmm. I don't know why you would bring that on this journey unless you're planning on resettling somewhere. So, right. I think they just kind of occupied those vacant spaces, and that's why they disappeared and just became a different tribe. Well, yeah, that kind of wraps. That's a wrap on the Sea Peoples. Can confirm I, the reason they had the upper hand was they had Aquaman on their side. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. They Aquaman Pos- was actually just Zeus. They had Poseidon in the yeah. spear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I I love this ancient history stuff. It's so cool. Like, just how much it changes. Just since we were born, even. Like, right. back when we were born, it was still the Sea Peoples were definitely like the major factor as to why this happened. But now it's pretty contentious as to like how many different factors and how big of a role the sea people actually played right like history can change with just one archaeological finding yep which has happened in literally this case right so super fascinating and honestly i love talking about this this topic and hope all of you listening enjoyed it quite a bit i'm glad you gave me this topic to research because i've been researching a conspiracy theory for an upcoming episode that i want to do and my brain has just been in like a free fall into madness so this gave me some stability <laughs> honestly we, we needed something not so maddening yeah just after the spooky season episodes that, yeah. we, that we've done definitely yeah i think howard hughes and then this were some right. good, good palate cleansers after that so now we're back into it <laughs> but i think it's mark's turn to pick the next one so oh, I to think about that. we'll see what he comes up with but whoa yeah i hope you guys uh enjoyed this this dive into some ancient history we, we do cover history once in a while. <laughs> Every, yeah, from time to time. I hope it wasn't too incoherent and we didn't jump around too much, but I think we did a, a pretty good job covering everything. Yeah, except for me trying to pronounce words. But yeah, well, Hey, we're working on it. Not important. I say we're. I'm working on it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at the Gems of History podcast at gems underscore history. You can follow Jacob at Jacob from Wisco, Mark at Mark underscore Stein B, then myself at Whatebskis. And then you can follow us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. And then we also have a TikTok at gems of history pod. Thank you. Yeah, you can uh, find us there. Otherwise, you can reach out to us by email if you want to at gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always open to topic suggestions, comments, questions. Only the good ones. <laughs> anything you guys want to say. Uh, but that's all we got for you this week. We'll see if Mark wants. Ooh, we forgot to say our sources. <laughs> ah, oh, good, yeah. good call. <laughs> so my sources, uh, 
were worldhistory.org, history.com, dailyhistory.org, and then allthatsinteresting.com. Yeah, so I used the All That's Interesting as well, and then the, I mentioned that lecture that I watched from a man named Eric Klein. It's on YouTube. Uh, there's multiple of them, but he discusses his book, 1177 BC, The Year Civilization Collapsed. So if you want to go watch those, they're about an hour long. And then, like I said, those Reddit threads on r slash historians, And then another one called human.com or human.libratext.org. That's where I got a lot of information just on like the Greek city states and stuff. So, yeah. My sources were uh, Mark Stand Up Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Go follow him on Twitter for more stand up. Yeah. Right. Ironically, he's always sitting down. Wow. 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 Oh. 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 All right. That's the send off. <laughs> yeah. Adios, everybody. All right. See you.